Welcome back to the Amplified Word, brought to you by Christ Episcopal Church in Dayton, Ohio. It's a conversation and a deeper look at the lessons for the upcoming Sunday from the Women's Lectionary by Will Gaffney. We invite you to come along as we lift up the women of the Word. Today we're taking a look at the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. Our lessons come from Genesis chapter 31 verses 25 through 27 and 43 through 50, Psalm 144 verses 3 and 4 and 12 through 15, 1 John chapter 4 verses 13 through 21, and the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 12 verses 46 through 50. Today's lessons draw us into a place of reflection on how we treat one another and how we recognize God within each person we encounter. And we're reminded in the passage from 1 John that God is love and those who abide in God, God abides in them. And when you abide in love, you abide in God. So how... Can we abide in love with those around us who might be different, who might challenge us? And how can we seek to encounter God in one another? Welcome everyone to this week's session of the Amplified Word. I'm the rector here at Christ Church, Peter Holmeyer. And I'm Mary Jane Floaty, the program's assistant and postulant. And we are heavy into Lent at this point, Mary Jane. We are, week four. We've reached week four. We're not going to lean into this too much for ourselves, but we're so far into Lent that there are some places that practice sort of Lent light this week. <laughs> Come up for air a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Take a deep breath. Rejoicing This Sunday. is the joyful <laughs> question mark. The, the joyful Lent <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> Um, I, 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 I believe in us and that we can do continue to do this important and interesting mm-hmm. heavy lifting. So I'd like to talk about one of those one of those elements which I see in today's text and see as part of the thematic thing that Gaffney's trying to help us not turn away from, right? So we've been talking about a season of turning, but in this sense, it's it's turning towards to turn towards right. this, yeah. and that in particularly, I am thinking this week about how we make use of other people for our own means and ends. Mm. So you know, of course, we all need to work together on things and. Sure. To be ready to know what people's strengths and weaknesses are and, you know, dynamic support, good community. And we may talk about good community a little bit later in this session involves knowing who folks are as individuals and tailoring what you're doing to what their capacities, interests and desires are. Mm -hmm. But that's different than using someone. Right. That is... Mm-mm. they are not the same right using someone as a means to an end or yes. to achieve what you want right it's not the same thing as collaborating it's right. not the same thing <laughs> as building the kingdom together yeah you know um 
I can say for myself, do not put me in charge of like bookkeeping. That is not my strength. Uh -huh. But there are other areas that, yeah, I can help you with those things. Now, don't only, you know, befriend me to get me to help you with that. Exactly. That's not a relationship. That's not no. friendship. That's not community. No. Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. that's a completely different way of understanding relationship. <laughs> yeah. And, well, of course, we have a lot of things that are... Um, inactive in our environment, non-living. And oh, yeah. so we watch children, for example. Of course, their interactions with other children are the most interesting, but they're also learning about the world by how they manipulate objects. Mm -hmm. And so one of the challenges is to not see each other as just objects to be manipulated. Right. Um, so, and this is important for this work, and I think we'll see, we can pull it out of today's readings as well. Because this is what womanist theology is really trying to make us recognize we've done as a way of damaging ourselves, mm -hmm. all kinds of individuals, unfortunately, historically, certain types of persons. Correct. Though it is more universal than that as well. And that is that we, well, use slave women again just as the example. Not historically, because that's what womanism is trying to give voice to here is their experience of what it is to know God. Right. And they are not seen as people who have action and initiative. They're seen as something to be bought and sold that commoditizes them. Right. And then, then their bodies to be used for the production of more resource because black people are in that time and place in this country are slaves. And so it is what they can produce, right, mm -hmm. that you're interested in. It's not a family dynamic in the sense of what we think of as the modern uh, no. in, in nuclear family where there's no. a deep desire to elicit the best from each other. It's instead how they can produce more of something that can be manipulated. It's entirely a commercial um, enterprise, right? Right. You buy people, right, and you sell people, right, and they make things, and they produce right. things, and they right. grow things, and sometimes you buy people that can provide you with more people, right. provide you with more workers, provide you with more slaves, right. Um, and so when we think about how a black woman in contemporary America understands their relationship to God, how can you look past that? You have to understand that they, as a unit, as an identity, as a com community, have been completely objectified, have been treated as um, a part of this commercial enterprise. Yeah, commoditized. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's actually important theology in here. That is that God, as a reminder, God has made, doesn't say one person or another, in the image of God. And yes. so to honor each other in a way that looks relational is to honor the face of God. And to not recognize someone else as being made in the image of God is to actually fall out of a practice where you are in relationship with God, not just that person at that point, 
when you meet someone and they're a subject, they have they have initiative, they have power, they have the capacity to create and make. have autonomy. Yeah. yeah, and you're inviting them into a space of of creating that with you. And there's a long struggle that you can see in the texts and in our own lives with trying to keep seeing the Godhead in each other, the subject to subject relationship rather than the subject to object relationship. And it's important to know that when we're talking about this, we're talking about in regards to everyone, right? We're not just saying, oh, and we're yeah. really bad at doing this with people who identify within the black female community. No, we are really bad about doing this with everyone. And I say we because oftentimes I fall into this as well of not recognizing God in everyone, right? right. That is hard. It's it's when you're frustrated with someone, when you are disappointed, when, when you're in the wrong, it's hard to necessarily seek God in everyone. It's hard to want to work with everyone, to want to collaborate with folks. We can really see some hard, hard truths in scripture of where people are not treated as subject, subject, right? Where we don't treat each other as though God is within each of us, as though we are made in God's image. Um, and, yeah, and we yeah. can definitely talk more about like those specifics after the break, but I think this is a wonderful way for us to imagine what community can be. What do you do with an object when you're done with it? You put it down and walk away. You walk away from it. You throw it away. This is what we see happens in the lives of those we treat as objects. And this is certainly out of good relationship. You know, what do you do to enforce slave people to continue to do the thing you don't want to? You perform violence against them right? You whip them, you beat them, you put them in chains. You starve it, them. You starve them. And we've done the same thing historically, often to women in the same way. You're lipping back to me, you left the house, why were you looking at so-and-so? All of these things are objectifications of women where the implicit threat and then unfortunately the actual experience has been violence. And I want to say that it also doesn't look necessarily like physical violence in Not the way only. that we objectify women. Right. That is certainly very prominent and very horrible. But it's also like limiting access, Good limiting um, resources for women, um, not allowing folks or women to, you know, succeed in, in the sense of being educated or climbing whatever ladder at in their field, in their area of work, um, not allowing women out of the home for work, um, and not allowing them resources to achieve those things, well, such as healthcare and daycare, right. and, and things like that, where they are limited because Access they are women. Birth control. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All of these things are ways that we continue to objectify women and have violence against women in a society Stat like a society level that keep us from a subject-subject relationship. We're continuing to limit women and therefore we continue to keep them as an object and hold them at arm's length away from full participation in community. Yeah. And we're limiting ourselves by doing that. And Absolutely. we're limiting what good community can look like right. as well. Yeah. We actually are doing ourselves a disservice 
not only those who we may be turning into objects. Yeah. We'll talk about a little bit of uh, one of the great patriarchs and his excellent capacity to do that very thing when we come back from the break. Welcome back, everyone. This week's readings include a piece from the story of Genesis, Mary Jane, and it picks up one of the great patriarchs of the oh, yes. uh, of the Israelite people, who is, as a matter of fact, who is the son of Abraham mm -hmm. and the father of Joseph. Mm -hmm. And he has a big, long story, and we really kind of pick it up in the middle. But can, can let's talk about who Jacob was a little bit, or some of the things that have led us at least up to this moment where we find ourselves out in the middle of nowhere with his father-in-law. Yes. Um, what can you tell us about, what would you want to tell us about Jacob? Let's begin with Jacob is, like you said, the father of Joseph. So this is sort of the father of the people of Israel, right? This is where, yeah. when we talk about the people of God, this is the lineage. We're talking about Jacob's um, role here. Yeah, there's and, 12 sons, and that's yes, why there's 12 tribes. Correct. So, I mean, this is really, this is fundamental. Right. And, and that's all important. But there's 12 sons, and they're not from the same woman. Oh, Jacob really? has two wives, uh -oh. and each one of the wives have a slave yes. who Jacob has raped and conceived children. Now, with. in the traditional text, they would be called handmaidens. Yeah, sure. They are not employed. They're not paid. Yes. They are slaves. Yes. Let's just be clear and about that. And that's important that to remember. <laughs> uncovers their feet in the biblical language. He yes. Has sexual relations he has, with it's them. very clear. He mm -hmm. has one wife and they're not having the success that he wants. So he sleeps with the slave. You know, all of these things. It's a long story. You can go back and read Genesis for yourselves. But that is so, sort of a, a snapshot of how we end up with the 12 sons. Yes. Is there are two wives and two additional women right. that he has conceived children with. And now they are, yes, running through the hill country of Gilead and Laban, who is his father-in-law. Right. Because his two wives are sisters. Yeah. Oh, that's also an important detail. I forgot. Yes. Yes. And one of them is not the one that Jacob wanted at first. But he did eventually get his favorite wife. Um, this yeah. feels like a soap opera at some point. Oh, Jacob's life and, is quite a soap opera. And it opera. really is. Yeah. Um, but so Laban is his father-in-law twice. And he, they're, they're out in the wilderness at this point and they've set up camp and Laban is not pleased with what, ha with what is going on. I would say. Well, Jacob has <laughs> kind of snuck out. Yes. Yes. 
So there's a, there's a lot of sort of contractual relationship stuff between Jacob and Laban. Right. This is this. like old world marriage. This is, first, I traded something yep. for the first wife. Yep. Now I want something back. Okay, I want the second wife. So this is what I'll give you. And there's all sorts of, yep. again, objectifying. Yep. The women mm -hmm. and the relationships that you have with those women right. are completely subject object. Right. You're using them for something, despite the fact that you claim one of them is your favorite. The, it, you can it's, still have it's a favorite usury. toy, right? right. Or exactly. a favorite pen, yes. or exactly. you know, whatever it's still that usury. might be. You're still mm -hmm. using someone. Right. Um, and, and so that's sort of the setting that we've ended up in here. Right, and they've had this very, um, right, they've had this contractual, not covenantal, I would say, relationship oh, no. here where first he makes a deal for what he thinks is going to be Rachel, and Laban enters into this kind of contractual agreement, and then Laban is able to sort of find a loophole Correct. in the contract and yes. give him what I think both parties would have described as the inferior goods, um, at least in the way the text is written, yep. which is, Leah, again, this is, I'm not... No, this is... I, I'm, this I'm not is condoning from the any of nope. this. I'm just naming it. Yes. So then they enter a second contractual right. relationship. Right, then it's like you have to wait, and then after a while you can have... Here's the second clause in this contract right. of after... What was it seven years or something right. you can come back and yep. you can finally have the one that you wanted the one that you asked for first one of the other things that doesn't show up in this text is that they they also have a lot of economic uh contractual relationship stuff too so in that time and in that place you know you didn't count your wealth you counted it they're they're um they're nomadic peoples, mm -hmm. and so you counted it in your herds. Absolutely. And so he how has, many sheep? How many goats? He's, how many... he's got. He's been sort of put in charge of some of Laban's flocks, and they've done very well. Mm -hmm. And then when Jacob receives the message that it's time to return home, he makes his own decision. Correct. About what portion of that belongs to him. And what portion doesn't? Again, right. it's all very. There's not a lot of new community of faith in this, right? And like, oh. I, I want to also say that like Laban is totally using Jacob. Yes, it like, works both like ways. as absolutely awful as Jacob is in this story 100%. of like using these women and using right this like weird relationship with Laban. Laban is totally using Jacob yes. as a source of labor, right. as someone who is doing a good amount of the work with this flock right. and has no, no interest in sharing no. this wealth with Jacob. La Laban is absolutely using Jacob I, yeah, and I, manipulating Jacob. Yeah. And Jacob is totally participating in that yeah. and gets to manipulate others yep. as like a weird reward. You know, when you fall into a place where you have uh, people treating each other as objects, it's a natural thing to then say, I'm going to treat you as an object because you've got it coming. And I yep. think there's an argument Jacob might make. I think you can even really say it's in the text. And I understand it. But it's like, you know, you've, you've dealt with me in bad faith, and so now I'm going to deal with you the same way. Mm -hmm. 
But here's the thing that gets us back around to where we were that I think is very telling in this text. We have two persons, the two men in this story, who get most of, unfortunately, have gotten almost all our conversation as well, which is part of the other issue that happens, right? Text written by men, for men, with men's interests, mm -hmm. in an ancient culture. But we have two parties that are used to trying to manipulate each other and treat each other as contractual objects. When this relationship is going to be broken, and that's what's happening here, Jacob is saying, okay, we're going off and we're doing our We're going to be thing. done. What happens is that at the very end, when you've had object-object relationships, Laban gets worried about what's happening to the women mm -hmm. who are in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting because all of a sudden he, so he's all, they're all upset, right? And he right. says, these daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. These flocks are my flocks. Yes. Right. And then he's saying that these are my daughters and the children that they have birthed also, right? Like that is all part of his family. Right. And that we need to he's almost looking for some sort of reconciliation and some sort of covenant to be made between the two of them of almost trying almost trying to care for these women um and at the end of this passage that we have for today's lessons it's very clear like if you treat my daughters violently or if you take women in addition to my daughters though no one else is with us see that god is witness between you and me yeah. I mean, wow. I'm actually kind of surprised, you know, when you read that and you know all this stuff about Jacob and Laban. And now, motivations aside, I'm not sure exactly if this is out of, you know, sympathy or care for the women or if this is more out of pride. But this is how you treat women. And yep. God will witness that uh -huh. regardless of whether or not anyone else sees He's aware of That's the, a threat. <laughs> he's aware true. of the risk of the violence, I would say, because he's participating in a, in a process of objectifying people and recognizes yes. that when we are treating one another as objects, one of the usual unfortunate outcomes is violence. Yes. Yes. So his yes. experience of Jacob is an experience where they treat each other and those around them as objects. Mm -hmm. And now he's going to stop seeing Jacob regularly. I think he's concerned that that same kind of way of interacting will be passed on to these other relationships. Right. It is, you know, all too often when we hear about domestic violence and intimate partner violence, um, you know, a lot of times isolation is a really big part of that cycle of violence, getting right. people away from right. other witnesses, friends, family, community, right? So moving or limiting access, things like that. And what I think Laban sees here is that that cycle of violence that he maybe knew about, maybe oh, didn't really care about. Yeah, he's... He's at now he, complicit, now right? he is aware that he won't even get to see anything. He yeah. won't even get to check up on anyone right. or make sure that they're okay. And that is a really interesting turn, I think. And that is how you break this cycle of violence is 
to hold people accountable. And as a society, we need to hold one another accountable. And that is community. Right. That's how we build the community that, you know, in other in our gospel today, and we're going to spend too much time on it, but that's the community that the gospel Jesus is trying to talk about and that in the passage from John we're trying to get at. Yeah. You know, Peter, that passage from John is so beautiful, and we, we won't spend too much time on it today, sadly. We could do a whole episode on that. But when we abide in love, that looks like caring for one another. Yeah, it means not seeing each other's objects. Exactly. You know, I, friendship is a beautiful word that can be defined a lot of words, but mm -hmm. ways. But one of the ways I was just recently reading um, some poetry, and they were talking about friendship as always wishing the best for the other person. And that is what we talked about earlier. That is a subject-subject relationship. Mm -hmm. At that point, you're seeing them as an individual. You're, you're recognizing their strengths and weaknesses and where their growth areas are. And that kind of way of thinking about how you would treat a friend rather than a business partner. Right, yeah. I believe lays at the heart of what it means to abide in love. Mm -hmm. And the... The, you know, the, the Vikings are really interesting to read about and their <laughs> Viking law. Yeah. Viking law is based effectively on blood feud. The challenge with that, besides the fact that you might be next on the one to get, you know, somebody That's coming after you, could be you, is that the cycle of that just never changes. Mm -hmm. If we want a cycle that doesn't look like what led to the necessity for a womanist lectionary, friends, we have to find ways to stop living in ways that we treat one another as objects and then do violence to one another mm -hmm. and instead see them as friends. Thanks for joining us this week for The Amplified Word. We'll be back soon. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Amplified Word. To learn more about the Women's Lectionary by Will Gaffney and our year-long formation programs, Women of the Word, we invite you to visit our parish website, DaytonChristEpiscopal.com.